Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Somewhere in Time. Big Time Return was written by Richard Matheson and published in 1975. And the film adaptation directed by Jeannot Soi came out in 1980. Good job on that director pronunciation. I, he's French. <laughs> I'm sure I butchered it. Uh, but we are going to pretend that I executed it perfectly. This is a patron requested episode. Our lovely patron, Tony, asked us to do this episode. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast... You might notice that this is yet again another Richard Matheson adaptation. Yeah, we're getting up. This is our third. We have also done I Am Legend. Yeah. And uh, What Dreams May Come. You know, it's interesting. I don't remember if I Am Legend was, but What Dreams May Come was also a patron requested episode. I can't remember if Deanna requested I Am Legend or not. I think she may have. Um, she's our friend in real life, too. Um, but it feels like the public likes Richard Matheson. Yeah. And well, what's funny, too, is that, like, I was aware of I Am Legend. Yeah. I'm also aware of he directed, or I'm sorry, uh, there is a movie called the trilogy of terror and it's more of a collection of three short films. Yeah. And I think all three are based on Richard Matheson short stories. Yeah. Um, so that's the only other one that I had been aware of. I didn't know what dreams may come was a Richard Matheson novel. And I was like totally unaware of this book and movie mm-hmm. until it was requested. So yeah, it's really cool. Um, we're doing what the people want, obviously, <laughs> which is Richard Matheson. And I'm not complaining. Um, these stories, definitely make for really great and interesting episodes. If you haven't listened to our What Dreams May Come and I Am Am Legend episodes, definitely check those out. Yeah, yeah, I really loved uh, getting to do both of those. And Richard Matheson is just such an interesting writer. Yeah. Um, Like, he really, like, all three of these stories are radically different. Yeah. Um. I would say this is closer to what dreams may come than I am legend. Definitely. In terms of like, he has like a science fiction concept Mm -hmm. and he's like really into it. Yeah. Uh, But there's a lot of other aspects to this story that are like different than the other two as well. Yeah. And getting into this book, uh, the writing style and kind of the format of it is interesting. And I would actually compare it to what dreams may come. Yeah, because both (laughs) start off. With the main character's brother. Yeah. We know that the main character is dead (laughs) from the start of the story. And the brother is like, uh, my crazy brother, my crazy dead brother. (laughs) I have these letters from him explaining some really trippy sci-fi shit. And like, I don't know if I believe it or not, but I'm going to like tell you about it anyway. (laughs) Like that's literally the beginning of both of these stories. It truly is. And in this in this book, in Bedtime Return slash Somewhere in Time, the brother is like, yeah, I collected these after he died and now I'm publishing it. And he kind of inserts himself occasionally in the story. Um, there's an ending part where he kind of writes like an epilogue. And he also kind of jumps in occasionally to be like, this was a really long part that I decided to cut for you, dear (laughs) reader. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I guess it kind of gives you the, you know, is this real kind of vibe. But yeah, it's an interesting format. And we're also made very aware of like a lot of this has been 
was dictated by the main character, Richard, into like a tape recorder Mm -hmm. for various parts. It goes back and forth between tape recorder and then like when he's in the past. Yeah. And he's just writing things down. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Writing shorthand. But it is definitely like a specific style when it sounds like someone's just talking. Yes. And there's like... Because at one point, there's a phone call between Richard and his brother. Which he apparently taped. I guess he just recorded. Yeah. But you can only hear Richard's responses. Yeah. So it's interesting to kind of like... Also, I re- I listened to a lot of this on audiobook. Mm-hmm. And I certainly have some thoughts about it. I am not sure if this is like the best audiobook experience. <laughs> it's a little mixed. Yeah. The movie, though, starts out with kind of a flashback scene where the main character, Richard, is in college and he's kind of uh, opening his first play. Yeah. And this old woman is there. Yeah, sitting in the back, being just creepy and old. She's old (laughs) and creepy. (laughs) She's not creepy. She's not, no. But there's a weird moment where she approaches Richard to talk to him. Yeah. And, like, the room goes dead quiet. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought, because, like... We know now that, like, she's a famous actress. Yeah. And I thought maybe, like, people recognized her. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, is that blah, blah, you know what I mean? But then after she does what she does and walks away, everyone was like, who was who that? Who was that? <laughs> <laughs> who was that creepy woman that we all just, like, went dead quiet for? Yeah, I think the dead quiet was a little unsettling. But she gives uh, Richard this watch and she says, come back to me. And is really dramatic and sad and then leaves. And then when we get to see her in this car and she's just crying. Oh, God. This was so sad, Ian. It was really devastating. She goes, I do like, though, once again, I often find books that focus solely on one character. Yeah. When the movie expands to other viewpoints, I always find it a little bit more interesting. I agree. Uh, and in this case, we follow uh, Elise. Mm-hmm. Old woman Elise, uh, go back to the Grand Hotel, mm-hmm. which we'll find more about later. And then, like, to her room, she puts on a record. Yeah. And she's just sitting there crying quietly to herself. Yeah. And it's very sad and emotional, but, like, also, like, what's going on and who is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very effective. Yeah. And before we kind of get too far into this, I just want to say that, like, We're going to be referring to, like, the present as vaguely the 70s. Yes. And then the past as uh, just the different times as they are in the book and film. In the book, it's 19 or 1897, I think. And then in the movie, it's 1912. So it's just a general past. It just kind of got, like, offset by both past and future from book to movie got offset by, like, five to ten years. Yeah, for unexplicable reasons. But, like... And then the location is also different. The it, This all takes place at this hotel in San Diego in the book. And in the movie, it is a hotel on Lake Michigan, I believe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was filmed actually on, oh shit, I just had Mackinac okay. Island, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like a um, state park island where actually they don't like allow cars or anything. Oh, wow. That's cool. And unless there might be multiple islands that are that way but i think i've heard about that like before Mm -hmm. and so like when they filmed there they had to get like special permissions to like get some cars there for like different film equipment stuff yeah so it is actually like on an island which is interesting oh that's cool we actually do get this flashback scene in the book as well yeah later on it's something that richard remembers Mm -hmm. after like 
researching and doing a bunch of other stuff, but it's like a much, much lesser scene. Yeah. He doesn't. He just remembers seeing an old woman at his play one time in his life. He's seen one old lady. (laughs) And And then he found out she died. Yeah. That night. He saw an old woman and she died. The end. (laughs) Very dramatic. Yeah. Uh, So in the book, Richard. Yeah. Let's talk about Richard. Who is this man that is our main character and who's talking into his cassette recorder mm-hmm. and is recording all this information for us. Richard in the book is older, I think, than the Richard in the movie. He's supposed to be in his late 30s in the book. He's a screenwriter um, and he's never really found love in life. No. He's never met anyone that he felt a real connection to uh, and he's dying. Yeah. Uh, I I've, I've actually really liked kind of the beginning of this book where yeah. we find out that he's like kind of abandoned, like, everything in his life, his profession, like, literally, like, his home and his debts and everything, and he's talking about, like, traveling around. Yeah. But he seems really melancholy. At one point, he's kind of, like, in this, um, uh, like, museum for a, a shipwreck that had happened. Yeah. Like, a, like, you know, 80 years ago or something like that, or not quite that long ago, but, and it's kind of, you're like, something's up with this dude, and I just don't know what it is. And at around the point when you're like really feeling that you find out about his brain tumor. Yeah. And he only has a few months to live. And we never really find out. This is one of my problems with the book. He's going to Denver, but we never figure out why. Oh, see, I like totally forgot that he had any specific destination. He's like, I got to get to Denver. And I'm like, what's in Denver? Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, like, totally forgot about that. <laughs> I kept waiting to find out, and we never do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just thought he was kind of, like, wandering aimlessly. Like, maybe I just thought Denver was, like, a destination he had picked out for whatever reason. Yeah, but, but I wish they would have explained it more. No, that's... he did mention Denver quite It's a, a valid lot. reason. If I had remembered, I would also feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Richard, so, like, this whole brain tumor situation is really interesting and raises like a lot of questions about like things he does later on motivations for him however the film version of richard does not have the brain tumor yeah instead he just has writer's block apparently (laughs) (laughs) uh he is a successful playwright instead of a screenwriter in the movie he's younger and uh he has writer's block so he decides to just take a trip and we find out that he's recently broken up with a lady, so yes. he's newly single. Mm-hmm. She is never mentioned again <laughs> no. in any kind of way, so I'm sure she was very important. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just get this shot of him driving, and he happens, he drives out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. He happens to be driving past the Grand Hotel. Yeah. And just kind of what seems to be just on a whim, he pulls into the hotel. Mm-hmm. And decides to stay there. In both versions, though, Richard is at this hotel, is feeling kind of the history of it, of this hotel. Because in both, you know, locations, whether in California or, you know, in the Midwest, it's an old hotel. It has a lot of history. A lot of famous people stayed there in the past. He goes into this museum part of the hotel where they have all these exhibits from people who stayed there in the past. Yeah, and... By the way, like, the hotel in the film yeah. is so cool. The, it is the cool. The Grand Hotel. Mm-hmm. It, like, it really, um, 
I don't know. It's not that like the hotel wasn't described in the book. Yeah. But like I never got like a real strong sense of it in my mind. Like it didn't feel like the place that the book needed as like almost a character as yeah. I would have wanted. Like it's a totally different story, but like I think of The Shining mm-hmm. and the hotel in that story and just like it's so vivid in the reader's mind. Yeah. And the hotel similarly in this story is like so important. Mm-hmm. But I just never got like, I don't know, a, a strong feeling or visualization about it. And to be fair, it's much easier to do that in a film. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely just like a natural uh, advantage towards film um, to be able to just show this huge fucking hotel and how cool it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say a word. No, no. And the movie also has uh, Arthur, who is the bellboy, but Arthur. not quite a boy. <laughs> we, we were both like. This old guy, this old actor is like super familiar. Like, what do we know him from? And I was like, oh, my God, in Home Alone, when the mom is trying to like bribe the old couple for like their plane tickets, he's the old man. What does he say, Ian? He's like, because she's trying to give the wife earrings and he's like, she has plenty of earrings at home, dangly ones. (laughs) When you quoted that line to me, I was like, oh, my God, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like Home Alone, okay? It's a great movie. I agree. I just don't know why you have that line memorized. I think it's one of those lines where just like his delivery of it, dangly ones, like just really lodged itself in my brain. Well, this is the dangly ones, man. This is the dangly ones, man. Uh, he's great in this film, though. And like, I like having this because he talks about oh, I've been at this hotel since I was five years old and my family moved out here and my dad worked here. And yeah. so you're like, okay, we're obviously going to see him as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really great. I do like that aspect. Yeah. Uh, so he goes into this history hall, right? Yes. This museum. And he's like, just minding my own business and look at this picture of an actress and I fall in love with her. Oh my God. She's gorgeous She's mysterious. She's dead. What what could be better? <laughs> yeah, it's like I genuinely didn't know because, you know, I started reading this before watching the movie and I like. Yeah, I really didn't know anything about this story. So mm-hmm. like this part was so interesting to read going into it blind. Yeah, because it's so weird. And I knew enough to know it was about time travel. So I'm like kind of piecing together maybe how this all works together. But like. Him just becoming so fascinated yeah. and just kind of obsessive about this actress of the past and like just looking into her and like researching her. And yeah, it's interesting because you're like, OK, he must know her when he travels back in time, but also like. God, this poor man is dying of a brain tumor and yeah. like he's going through some shit. Yeah. So like it does also feel like that it can add to his motivations a lot. He's just kind of latching on to something. Yeah. Uh, something to give his life meaning at a time when he feels like there's no meaning in his life. Absolutely. And in both versions, he becomes obsessed with this photo and figures out that the woman in the photo is a really famous actress from the past called Elise McKenna. And she was a play. She was, she starred in a lot of plays. I don't know if she was in movies. I don't you know. It never I mentioned think it was just film, plays. Yeah. Cause it's like pretty, it was a long time ago. Um, 
And he kind of goes into research mode. He goes to some bookstores. He goes to the library. He looks up as much information as he can on her. And I think this is really interesting because it's that idea with someone in the past that like you can look up all the information that you can try to look up. You can talk to people that knew them, Mm -hmm. maybe if they're still alive. But like part of that is always going to be lost. Yeah. You know, and you're, there's things you're never going to know. No, and there were mysteries about her life that, like, biographers yeah. and, like, people who knew her, like, could only guess at. Like, yeah. in 1912, in the film anyway, or 1895 in the past, at this one specific point in time, she kind of, like, had some kind of shift in her personality where she became, like, kind of moodier and more withdrawn and her acting got better yeah and also it was like an uptick in her acting and like reviews and stuff for her and kind of when her career really took off so like there's kind of like a very specific moment and it also happens to coincide with when she did a play at the hotel that uh, richard is staying at Yeah, but I want to mention the movie here because what the book kind of keeps ambiguous, the movie makes explicit. Yeah. So when Richard is in the library looking up information on Elise, the photo that he saw in the museum, he finds a photo of her as an old woman. Yes, yes. And he recognizes her immediately as the old woman who gave him the watch. And so... This is a, a key moment, I think, in the, mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. Because he's been fascinated by this photo. He wants to look her up. And this moment kind of is a confirmation that his interest and obsession with her is meant to be. Yeah. Whereas, like, in the book, he's doing this research and then suddenly he's like, oh, my God, that old woman I saw at my college play like one ten, time, one time, 10 years ago. And the only thing that happened was just like she looked really sad at him. Yeah. Like and that, never that was the extent of the interaction. He's like, oh, my God, that was her. <laughs> and like he he jumps through so many insane hurdles mentally. In oh, the book. yeah. Like all the way to the point of like. I'm the I have to go back in time because I'm the one that she falls in love with. Like you're reading this and you're like, what the fuck is he? How did he arrive at this conclusion? Yeah. But I think the book also handles this well in a way where like there are points on this journey for him where he's like, what the fuck am I doing? Like what? Like (laughs) I'm I'm, crazy. I'm literally crazy. I have a brain tumor. (laughs) Like I'm not thinking correctly. And he kind of has these like swings back and forth between believing and not believing. Yeah, it's a really different tone, I think. Yeah. And especially because in the book, we're getting such first-person narration. Mm-hmm. We're really in his head. Whereas the movie is telling a different story, I think. Yeah. Especially with the absence of the brain tumor. Like, there is no doubt about the truth of what's happening. And, you know, Richard actually ends up visiting the woman who is like, I guess taking care of Elise McKenna in her old age or was like a companion to her in some way. And she shows him like further evidence that he is meant to be with her and that he goes back in time to be with her. There's like this shape of the hotel that he's staying in with his favorite song playing in a music box. There's this book about time travel that she read a lot And then the watch that, you know, he has and he shows to her, she's like, she never went anywhere without it. She kept it on her that whole time. 
Um, just a lot more evidence and kind of building a case and giving motivation and reason for Richard to actually want to try to attempt to go back in time. Whereas mm-hmm. in the book, you're kind of like, wait, why is he doing this again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the movie does a good job because like the movie is trying to sell you on this idea. Like, you know, Richard in the movie is a grounded man. Yeah. Like, he's not having a life crisis. No. So they're taking a normal man, and they have to transition him into believing that he time travels and falls in love with a woman of the past. Yeah. I think it does a really good job of that, actually. I agree. With, like, him realizing, like, the old woman at the play. Because, I mean, he still has the pocket watch that that woman gave him. Yeah. Clearly, that left an impression on him. And then when he discovers that they loved the same song, uh, which, by the way, the song is called The Eighth Variation of Sergei Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini. (laughs) Nice one. Paganini. That is a long title. That is. And it's it's the the, the 18th variation. I see. Of that. Mm, Very important. Beautiful song, though. Yeah. Like, I really love, because, I mean... They really play that song a lot. Like, they really milk that song for every scene (laughs) that they possibly can. But it's really beautiful, and I think it fits a lot of the scenes well. So I, like, really like it. I agree. But yeah, so, like, you know, the film is taking a normal man and pushing him to this conclusion, whereas the book is, like, a man who is probably not in the best mental state arriving at this conclusion, and you're left to be, like... Is this real or not? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So very different setups, but like, I think it's it's interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about time travel, Ian. Let's do that. This is a very different idea of time travel. I don't think I've read or seen anything else that does this. No, it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of putting faith in the power of your mind. And kind of the idea is that you know, the fourth dimension, time, is a construct of our own minds. Yes. And that if we have enough mental willpower, we can overcome that, like, boundary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is something that, um, I kind of forget in the book how much of this is his own idea versus stuff that he's read. Yeah, he does some research at the library. Yeah, I know he's, like, reading about time, and, like, the concepts of, like, first time, second time, third time. I don't, I don't know what they mean. Ian. It gets really, this is, like, where uh, Richard Matheson gets, like, really deep yeah. into, like, this concept. Like, we hear a lot about a lot of shit with time during this portion. <laughs> um, in the film, it's really interesting. He tracks down a college professor yeah. who wrote a book that he found at... Elise's apartment Mm -hmm. and so he knows this is significant and he like talks to this professor and the professor is actually the one who kind of gives him this idea yeah which I think once again makes sense given the different circumstances of the character yeah and I actually really like this story I watched this movie like years and years ago when I was like a teenager and I specifically remember this man telling this story really yeah I don't know what it was about it but like his experience of like being in Venice or Italy or wherever he was and being in just like a really old building that's been around for centuries and just feeling kind of like history all around him. Mm -hmm. And that in that space, 
he felt like he almost could will himself into another time. Yeah. Like, it felt so vivid to me. Yeah, and I think it's something we've all felt to one degree or another, just yeah. even being in any kind of historical building or setting. Yeah. Like, just the thought of, like, the number of people who have been in here before and, mm-hmm. you know, the even the architecture, that kind of thing. Yeah, so just the idea that this is something that, like, theoretically any person could do. Yeah. But, like, you have to be almost self-delusional enough mm-hmm. to actually do it yeah. is really fascinating. Yeah, and Richard's solution to this is self-hypnosis. Mm-hmm. He starts out uh, doing this with his tape recorder, his cassette player. He records himself talking about um, being in the past, being like, it's the year whatever. This is, like, here are the other details about being in this time. You're there, blah, blah, blah. And it is like a, he's literally putting himself into a trance trying to go back in time. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, he, he's, like, so convinced that this is going to happen. Um, there's a scene where he has to, like, kind of prove it to himself. And yeah. he looks at the hotel ledgers from the past to try to see if his name is there. Yeah, I really like this. Because I... Is it the same in book and movie where he tries to go back for a bit and then discovers the ledger and then is able I to... I can't remember how it goes in the book. Yeah, the book The book is um, a bit of a jumble in my memory for whatever reason, but like I like in the film at least how he's trying to do it, is unable to, and then gets this idea, mm-hmm. and he's going through like the hotel's like archived ledgers and finds his name. Yeah. And what I really love is in the film, it's just his name. Mm-hmm. And this is like solid confirmation that he does go back in time yeah. to this point. In the book, though, he finds his name, but it's spelled instead of just Richard Collier, it's R.C. Collier. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know why he would write his name that way he's never written he's his name never like written that. his name rc collier yeah but for whatever reason he's like well it still has to be me like obviously yeah but this is kind of going into that like questionability of like the events that are going to happen like yeah was rc collier him or was it just like he saw that name and was like oh that's yeah me. that's me yeah richard is a very common name, Ian. <laughs> it is. And Collier also doesn't sound like the most unique last name. No. In fact, I was just thinking about someone with that last name, I think, famous, but I can't remember now. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is kind of like a turning point for him where it's like he has proof now that all his theories are correct. Mm-hmm. He goes back to his hotel room. He buys a time-appropriate suit He gets time-appropriate money. In the movie, he cuts himself a time-appropriate haircut. (laughs) Yep. He's ready to go. Yeah. He uh, realizes in the film that, like, the tape recorder being a modern invention is actually, like... Holding him back? Yeah. So he, like, hides it away. Um, All of his money. He's like, I can't have new, fresh money. (laughs) I have to have old, old money. Yes. Uh, And then he does the self-hypnosis... Oh, God. (laughs) Self-hypnotizing again. Yeah. And this time he's successful. And we get to the past. He wakes up, essentially, in the past. And it's a little bit different in each version. In the book, he's in some person's room. Because obviously, he wasn't there to check himself into the hotel. So it's just some random person's room in the hotel. Yeah. And he can't get out, Ian. (laughs) He's locked in because there's no... 
way to unlock a locked door from the inside if you locked it from the outside. I guess lock technology was a lot farther <laughs> behind at this point in time. Than... I have no idea what's going on here. It's very bizarre. But yes, he <laughs> in the book is locked inside of this hotel room that belongs to someone else. Yeah. So he finds a is it a straight razor? Yeah. And hacks his way <laughs> Through the door jam yeah. to like get the door open <laughs> and escape. And I love at one point he's like, God help me if this man comes back to his room and finds me like chiseling my way out of his out of his room. Oh my gosh. When he also thinks he's like, boy, this is gonna really confuse some people that like they're gonna find this like someone hacked their way out of a locked from room the inside. from the inside. <laughs> Very Twilight Zone. Yeah. The film, though, has a different situation. Yeah. He wakes up and it's a married couple's room. And there's a woman who is getting undressed. And then the man comes in and they're arguing. And it's clear that this man and this woman are like kind of jealous, the jealous type. So if he was found in the room, like, I don't think it would go well for him. (laughs) I really love this whole, like, it's kind of slapsticky, but it's like super funny. Him just like hiding, hiding around, especially like Christopher Reeve is like the tallest man on earth. And at one point he's just crouched behind like a little armchair. And I'm like, they can see you. You're so big, man. (laughs) Um, But like, for me, the icing on the cake is that like, he manages to, like, sneak out of the room and close yeah. the door. But, like, as he's leaving down the hall, the door opens and he turns around. And walks towards the walks door. Walks towards the door. So the man who knows someone just left was, like, he's he addresses him. He's like, excuse me, sir, did you see anyone leave? Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just saw, like, a young chap, like, run that way. <laughs> brilliant strategy. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, like, such a brilliant smart moment on his part that like it just makes you appreciate him once he's escaped from the room though he's like okay back to my main mission which is meeting this woman that i've literally gone through time and space and dimensions to find yes uh i do want to just say that like i really love similarly like how i appreciated just seeing the hotel i really love seeing this time period yeah because once again it's not that Richard Matheson doesn't describe it, but, like, I just... Because this is a time period I'm not familiar with, really, at all. Yeah. Like, I have a sense of, like, the 1920s. hmm I mean, it's, like, you know, kind of the Great Gatsby version of that time period. But, oh, like, yeah. But, like, flappers and the style and everything and, like, other decades after that, I have a general idea. But, like, the early 1900s to late 1800s, like, I kind of really didn't know what to picture Mm -hmm. in terms of the style and, like, what was, what technology existed. And so seeing this film, I was like, okay, I'm like, I get it now. I get, like, what this time period is. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the movie makes, like, a point to, like, connect it to a lot of Impressionist paintings of the time. Yeah. Yeah. like when they're walking around the park, mm-hmm. we see people painting and everyone's in that style. And yeah. It just really locks it in for me, at least, like what this is about. I agree. That's a good point about the film. He finds Elise along the beach. In the movie, it's a lake beach. And in the book, it's like an ocean beach. But they they meet. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of dramatic 
in both versions. And in both versions, he comes up to her and she asks him, is it you? Yeah. And it's just like, like you said, dramatic moment. Yeah. And in the book, he kind of like escorts her back to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And it's like kind of awkward. They share a few words together. But like he kind of doesn't know what to say to her. And he also knows like socially, this is a weird situation at this time period for like me, this random strange man to be escorting this woman to the hotel. Mm -hmm. So like there's that situation going on. I like in the film, though, that like they get interrupted almost immediately by her manager. Mr. Robinson. Mr. Robinson. Played by Christopher Plummer. Mm. (laughs) Always love to see Christopher Plummer. Yeah, he's great in this. He's very, he's good at being a villain, but I actually can't think of many villainous roles that he's in. He's usually like the patriarchal figure of a family. Yeah. But like, he's a good villain. He is. He pulls it off well. Yeah. I think. Yeah, he's super protective of her in both versions. Um, But he's her manager. There's like kind of the hint that maybe he's in love with her or maybe he just wants her to be a star and like financially he's like concerned about Mm -hmm. her but either way he really does not like richard no he's very against richard this seems like a good point to at least touch on the performance of christopher reeve definitely he is so good in this film he's so earnest and just uh open i would say um I mean, I think, like, there's a reason that he was cast as Superman, right? Oh, yeah. You know, like, he's tall, dark, and handsome, but he's also, like, kind of wholesome in a way that I think you need Superman to be. Like, you want someone who believes that they are a good person and, like, believes the best in other people, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he just has, um, because, like, to be fair, in the book, I don't know... The character of Richard just comes across as, like, overly aggressive. Yeah. Kind of creepy, weird, uh, not- Really sick. Super, oh my god, he's, like, so just He's, like, always fainting. The whole story. (laughs) Um, but I really like Christopher Reeve. His performance in this film gives him this earnestness, this likability. He is, like, still a little bit, um- Aggressive. Aggressive with uh, Elise at points where it's like getting a little creepy, but like it's never too far. And I just think he does such a great job in this role. Yeah. Also, he's a really handsome dude. Yeah. Which like in my mind, I always think of him in Superman movies. Like I think of dorky Clark Kent. Yeah. And then Superman in kind of. The abs- a different dorky way. Dor- yeah, yeah, the absurd outfit. Like, I, I feel like I don't see Christopher Reeve just as a dude yeah. very often. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know what? He's a really, he's a really handsome guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think us believing this story and believing their romance is really carried by him. Yeah. Like, I really feel like he is the reason that I'm, like, into it as much as I am when I'm watching it. Absolutely. And... I just want to talk about like this whole time period in the book and movie because it's just like a bunch of pages and minutes of the film where, you know, Richard and Elise are getting to know each other. 
Like they go on walks, they eat breakfast together, they have dinner, they dance with each other at one point in the movie. They escape her manager. They like go on all these different kind of excursions and talks with each other and they're getting to know each other. But like, I don't know. I just want to talk about the book version a little bit. And we've talked about it a little bit already. But like Richard just feels very aggressive and like into her a lot and is like upfront about it right away he's like (laughs) i I think he says like i love you the first night that they meet yeah he's just constantly just like my goddess yeah like just really obsessive and there's one point when he tells her like listen, I know this is weird for you and I'm trying to be like, I don't want to pressure you, but as long as you know that I'm in your life forever. So, but it's fine though, like no pressure. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God. And she obviously reacts like, holy shit, what is yeah. wrong with you? Like yes. it's literally like a man showing up and being like, I mean, we're soulmates and I'll never leave you. And she's just like, okay. It's, it's very much a... um werewolf imprinting situation from Twilight (laughs) where it's just like the man shows up and tells the woman like, hey, we're soulmates. This is happening. Yeah. And another thing I want to mention, too, is like in the book, you know, he's been reading about her and she has this shift in her career in at this time. And he's like, it's because of me. Yeah. Um, Which is so self-delusional that he's like, oh, this woman just living her life. And has this kind of shift in her career where it suddenly gets better. And she's regarded as a better actress. I know what caused that. It's me, a white man. It's a, it's a me. <laughs> and I just want to take this, this time uh-huh. to mention that the character of Elise is actually based on a real actress. Really? Yeah. So Richard Matheson... Um, I think was at some type of museum, a similar situation, saw a photo of this actress and was like, oh, my God, she's gorgeous. She has this kind of haunting look to her and like doesn't really but kind of falls in love with her Mm, in a way. Yeah. And has this idea of like, oh, well, what if somebody had a similar situation happen to them? But they're like, I have to try to go back in time to be with her. Mm. But like a lot of details about this actress, her name, um, her stage name was Maude Adams. Okay. Are eerily accurate to like what was portrayed in the book. Mm. So she was also in Peter Pan. Oh, wow. And The Little Minister, which are um, some Barry plays. Uh Uh-huh. And she was also known for being like super like um, removed from the public and like private and has this like dramatic... Like, she was one of the first, like, really popular actresses. Basically, everything from Elise's backstory is this real actress, Maude Adams. Can I say something that, like, reading this story... Yeah. And I don't know if this is a tie-in at all to, like, the real person. Reading this, I'm like, this was definitely written in such a heteronormative time. Yeah. Because he's reading about this woman's past, and she was just, like secluded and never married and never had any like known romantic partners or men in her life Mm -hmm. and his first thought is like oh she like never met like the the right man Mm -hmm. and i'm like she's probably gay (laughs) and this woman was a lesbian yes (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. Um, look oh her up. Oh, my God. Maude Adams um, was a lesbian. <laughs> she ha- had a female partner that she lived with for, like, 50 years. Oh, my God. And uh, then they buried her next to her. When she died, she was buried next to her partner. They lived together. She was also her secretary. Oh, my God. And everyone was like, and her manager, who was super protective and was like basically based, like the basis of this Robinson character, used her kind of privateness and mystique to kind of build up Mm. her persona and kind of sell her more. So like, you know, a PR stunt, basically. But yes, the whole time she was a lesbian. And listen, here's the thing. Did Richard Matheson know this mm-hmm. and still decided to put this heteronormative yeah. spin on the story? Yeah. Or did he not know this? I don't know what scholarship there was in the 70s about Maude Adams, but I'm not sure. Either yeah. way, I do think it is very presumptuous <laughs> to take this woman, this woman just living her life yeah. with her lady and being like, oh, you know what she needs? A time travel romance with some dude, (laughs) which seems sort of like a author self insert as well. Yes. I mean, his name is literally Richard. Yeah. He names the main character after himself. (laughs) Oh, my God. Adina, nothing (laughs) has ever made me happier on this podcast than you (laughs) confirming that my suspicions were correct. Because I didn't even know this was based off a real woman. Yeah. And reading this story, he's like, oh, my God, like she spent her whole life like living on a farm by herself, by herself, like never marrying any man or dating any men and like yeah his idea that like oh she must have been so lonely and i was just like dude come on she's having a lot of gay sex (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah as soon as i was like looking this up and researching it i was like yep (laughs) (laughs) that 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 checks out. That yeah. rings true. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I just need to absorb that for a bit because that's so amazing. I know. I was very excited to share that with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do want to say, though, that I I think uh, Jane Seymour, who plays Elise in the film, yeah. does a really good job. Mm-hmm. I think the the her character in the book is good good too like she's very strong she has a good sense of self Mm -hmm. uh she's a feminist yeah and i think but i think once again seeing that in the character in the film helps a lot especially in some of those scenes where like richard's being a little bit more aggressive yeah like you still feel like she's not just being like bulldozed by some dude that she's still like she's a strong enough personality that you feel like she is okay. She's like, yeah, she's still making a choice to like go along with this like ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. There is this movie montage of them hanging out by the lake. That's really beautiful. Yeah. I like the way it's shot. Me too. And this book structure is really interesting. Yeah. Cause it's like so much of the beginning is the setup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of, time. okay, we have this man and in the book he's dying and he shows up to this hotel and he falls in love with a picture and, and he does a lot of research. research and then he researches time travel and then he like practices it. And then finally, like so much to get to this point yeah. that like, there's not like a ton of room left for this, like 
romance to like blossom between them. Yeah. And can we talk about the pacing like just a tiny bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole time I was reading the book, I had seen the movie before. So I was like, well, I know how the movie goes. So it might be this way. It might be different. But I just never knew what what where the book was going. Yeah. I never felt like it was going anywhere. Um, yeah, no, that's... Um, it didn't really have a drive. It wasn't until he gets abducted later on <laughs> yeah. that I felt like, okay, now here's Things some... Things are like, happening. Yeah, like some meat in the story, some like actual like conflict going on. But like for so much of this, it's just like an awkward man <laughs> trying to romance a, a, a gay woman. <laughs> <laughs> and her manager's like very... Like, against it. Against it. And it's just like that for a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, and like they're starting at ground zero. Mm-hmm. Like they don't know each other. Yeah. And in fact, the whole concept of. So in the book, she was told by a relative. No, Ian, by an Indian woman and a gypsy woman. Oh, really? Yeah. I was listening to this on audiobooks. So that aspect must have. Yeah. Went past me. So two different uh, cultural stereotypes. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thought it was like a, an ant or something. No. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so a gypsy woman tells her over a campfire or whatever bullshit um, that like a man would come into her life that would like change her life. She has this like, she's given this like premonition. This, and she'd like, meet him on a beach when she's 29. Yeah. So. <sighs> and in the movie... Her manager told her. Yeah, which is, like, really interesting. And then she's like, he knows things. Yeah. But, like, my point is, though, that, like, the story has to insert this, like, weird premonition narrative. Yeah. Because it has to have you believe that this woman would not just run away screaming (laughs) when the Richard's character, like, approaches her. Yeah. And is like, (sighs) (sighs) we're meant to be together. I came from the future. Like, (laughs) like, otherwise that would be, like, totally absurd. So it's like, okay, she was told this, like, premonition. And that's, like, the only reason she's, like, showing him the time of day. Part of, and her asking, is it you? Yes, yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. what led to that question at the beginning. But, like, even despite that, they're still starting off their romance at, like, ground zero, like, not knowing each other at all. Yeah. And really have to, like, build up this relationship over a very short period of time. Yeah. The manager aspect, though, is interesting, though. Yeah. It, like, adds a lot of implications about his character that I don't think are fully explored in the film. Yeah, he, in the book, Richard knows that he dies uh, in the sinking of the Lusitania. Yeah. The ship in one of the wars. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's World War One, And this kind of gives him sympathy for him because he knows that he's going to die. But, like, he's, like, a really shitty person. Yeah. And, in fact, like, he ends up lying to Elise later about his involvement in the kidnapping plot. And he's like... No, he had nothing to do with it. It was just some random people who decided to kidnap me because he's like, I know that she still works with him later on, so I want to protect that relationship. Mm-hmm. That made no sense to me. Yeah, it's like, uh, there's not like a lot of like time paradox stuff in this book. Uh, there's some. Yeah. One part that I did like was like, him checking into his room. Yeah. Because he knows based on the ledger that he checks into room 417 at like 928 
uh, a.m. Yeah. And so, like, he's, like, trying to, like, plan it out. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he's given, like, the wrong room key, and he, like, panics. He freaks out. Yeah, and he's like, what? This isn't the right room. And it turns out, like, it isn't. Like, oh, that room's reserved. My bad. Yeah. Uh, and I really like, too, in the book, like, he goes to sign his name, and he signs it. Yeah. R.C. Collier, only because... That's what he saw in the ledger in the future. Yeah. And it's this weird cyclical thing where he's like, I'm only signing it because, like, that's what I saw at one point, mm-hmm. And that's the reason I'm doing it. No other reason. So. Yeah. Uh, there isn't a lot of that in this story. I wish there was more. Because mm-hmm. those parts are interesting. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about time travel before in episodes. Uh, one of our favorites being The Time Traveler's Wife. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to that episode. Definitely listen Give to that. It a listen. This is just a uh, advertisement for other episodes. That we <laughs> yeah. <should have. laughs> How many can we plug? But yeah, just this idea of like what it means to time travel, like that idea of do you have free will here? Can you make these choices? What will happen if you try to not? If you try to go against the grain of time. Yeah. And I don't think it's explored enough in this book. No, and I do think this is like. I mean, I'm sure I I know there were other time travel stories before this one, but this is still a pretty early time travel novel Mm -hmm. in like terms of science fiction. So like I still think it paved the way for a lot of other stories. Yeah. But that still doesn't like uh, change my criticism of I wish it delved more into that instead of being like this heavy sci-fi premise at the start. Yeah. And then it's just kind of like this whirlwind romance. Mm-hmm. With and like, kind of abandoning the sci-fi yeah, element. Yeah, there's like an occasional moment or two of like, oh, I don't want to split the timeline or whatever bullshit. But like, <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot of that. Yeah. Eventually, though, this romance ends up culminating in both... Richard and Elise telling each other that they love each other. In the book, Richard tells her that he loves her, like, basically the first time he sees her, Uh which is super overwhelming. And she eventually um, admits that she loves him, too, in a letter. It goes a little bit differently in, in the movie. She ends up confessing her love to him in the play that she's in. Yeah, which was weird. Yeah. I think, honestly, it's, like, about the the economy or, like, conservation of the story. Where <laughs> of it's scenes. Like, yeah, where it's, like, we have very few scenes and very little time <laughs> to make these characters connect. Yeah. So, like, we can't just, like, waste a perfectly good scene at the play where they're not showing each other they love each other. So, like, let's have her, like, confess, confess her, her love. love. Yes, while she's in the play, so you can see her watch the play, but also they can confess their love to each other. Yeah. Makes sense. But it comes across, like, kind of just weird, and, mm-hmm. like, what's even happening right now. I agree. Uh, but, unfortunately, their, their epic romance, it means it's, like, first major roadblock. Yeah. When Richard gets abducted by two men who were uh, put up to it by the manager. Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, you know, Richard is apparently not the brightest person um, because literally in the book anyway, 
Robinson just threatened his life. Yeah. Like just a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And then he gets a note from Robinson that is like, hey, this is about Elise. Like, it's a matter of life and death. I need to see you right away. And he's he get- like, I must go. Yeah. He gets a note from Robinson. It's like, I've been trying to reach you about your car's extended <laughs> warranty. And he's, and like, he's like, oh, here's all my information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. he uh, he's, he's pretty dumb. Yeah. Uh, he gets abducted by these two men. In, in the movie, it's just like a brief shot of him getting like punched, punched. knocked out, and then him waking up in the stables mm-hmm. of the hotel. In the book, it wow. is a it is an epic it's saga. It's extended an extended scene. He's kidnapped by these two men with very different uh motives, I think, for doing this job. The one guy's like, "Hey, we're we're just supposed to like tie him up and Keep him from going back to the hotel for this many hours until, like, all the actors, including Elise, leave. And the other guy is like, well, what if we just kill him? <laughs> yeah. He he cursed at me. Yeah. He cussed at me. And I'm not cool with it. It's I, like, but I just want to do a murder. Yeah. He's really <laughs> eager to to do a murder. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh, God, I don't, like, this, this whole thing. At one point, the older guy, who's the one who's like, let's just tie him up and do the job. He, like, tells Richard, he's like, you have spunk or whatever. And, like, yeah. you remind me of my father. Like My son. Oh, was it his son? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Once again, <laughs> I listened to a lot of this book while doing other things. <laughs> so certain things went over my head. But he's like, you remind me of my son before he was killed by the damn Indians or whatever. And I'm like, what is this backstory that we're getting on? <laughs> on this man that we'll never see again. No, it's very bizarre yeah he's kidnapped though and he eventually wakes up in the movie he's in the stables in the book he's in some shed near the beach and he has to escape which in the movie he just like breaks a lantern oh and then cuts his ropes on the lantern is like all right i'm free i'm out he doesn't like two seconds yeah which is really funny because this makes me think of uh our last episode on the Green Knight yeah. had a very similar scene where Gawain is tied up and has to like crawl away and like cut himself free. And yeah. Back to back rope cutting <laughs> escapes. In the book, though, he takes a really long time to get free from his ropes. We get to hear about the chest pains that he's having as he's trying to free himself. And you're like, is he going to die here? Is he okay? <laughs> he's not okay, Ian. Uh, it, it's one of those things where, like, just in a book, I don't know how a book gets away with writing a scene like this where it's just not boring. Yeah. Because it has to, like, it has to draw it out, right, to make it seem... Yeah, dramatic. Like, dramatic and intense and difficult. But also hearing about him... Like shimmying his foot yeah. and like kind of pushing on the rope with his heel. Not a lot of getting his very his foot out of here. his boot and then like <laughs> him wiggling his wrists. Like it's just it's one of those things where it goes on so long. Yeah. And I don't know what critique I would what feedback I would give Matheson to make it better. <laughs> but it's just boring. I agree. Uh he escapes though, gets back to the hotel, mm-hmm. only to discover that Elise and the entire uh play company has left yeah it's this devastating moment for him but it doesn't last long because he's soon reunited with elise in the book 
He sees her like across the hall and they're reunited. In the movie, she's like walking in the forest, like beach area behind him. And he slow, like she sees him first and like yells. It's a really great shot with the split dioptic lens. Yeah. Where it has two different focal points on either half of the screen. Mm-hmm. So you see her way in the distance, but they're both still but he in focus. he doesn't see her yet. Yeah, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually just a lot of really good cinematography and editing and like... I was going to say that reminds me of the scene where we see her for the first time. Mm, yeah. When they, that guy like pulls that curtain yes, down yeah. and then you suddenly see her silhouette in the window. Yeah, and the reflection. Yeah, that scene was great. Mm-hmm. I really liked the editing and cutting together of him... When he's trying to go back in time for the first time, like you're hearing his tape recording Mm -hmm. over the background as he's like moving furniture and like. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of really good filmmaking in this movie, technically speaking. Mm -hmm. Richard and Elise are reunited. It's beautiful. And of course, now it's time, Ian. Oh my God. It's time for sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to fuck. It's time to do it. When we watched the movie, uh, I wasn't at this point yet, but when they get reunited, I jokingly turned to Dean and was like, it's time to fuck. And she was like, oh, so you got to this part in the book. And I was like, oh, I was just kidding. But <laughs> And I'm like, please let me know when you get to this part in the book. Because <laughs> I was not wrong. Listen, I don't think any of us were prepared for the sex scenes. Scenes, Ian. Oh, Oh, yeah. In this book. This is a way thirstier book (laughs) than I was expecting. Only in the last like 10 pages. I mean, the whole story is very melodramatic in the writing in the book. It's like very melodramatic. It's very kind of uh, soapy and kind of, you know what I mean? It's kind of like very self-serious in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I did not realize Matheson would deliver (laughs) the way he did in these sex scenes. In the 70s. In the 70s. (laughs) For like a a book that was published normally, I'm assuming, you know? It's not like a steamy romance or anything. It's not like a back alley triple X store. So I need to just read you a paragraph of this. I'm not going to read the whole thing because there are many different sections. Here we go. To feel myself inside her, feel her feverish body under mine, feel her hot breath spill across my cheek, to listen to her groans of anguished passion, to feel myself explode inside her, and to have her spasm up so violently against me that it seemed her back would break, her nails digging down my flesh, a look of exquisite ecstasy on her face as she experienced what may have been the first complete release in her life— All this was almost more than one poor human frailty could endure. Waves of darkness rolled about me, threatening my consciousness. The air was charged with pulsing heat and energy. God damn. (laughs) (laughs) It it, um, goes on from there. I feel like there's another part later that I also just kind of want to read because he says, um, so they're having sex again. And... This time she did not resist it, but with joy at the broken shackles, gave herself to me and took from me, her love making now so fiercely honest that when her release soon came, she threw back her head, arms stretched out on on each side, palms held up and open as she shuddered violently and groaned with unresisting fulfillment. 
Again, I flooded deep within her, <laughs> hoping as I did that she would conceive our child inside that pure, <laughs> lovely body. <laughs> I forgot about that line. I'm like, can you stop talking about flooding within her, exploding inside her? <laughs> and they're going to say, could you stop talking? <laughs> well, and then when they have sex a third time, yeah. she's like, how is this possible? Like, that's like literally what she, she says. She screams. She screams, how is this possible or something like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. OK, like, can we like take a moment to step back and just like. Yeah. And the thing I don't like about this is like they're talking after this about her life as an actress, what their future will be like together. And it's sort of implied. And like this has been implied throughout the book. And we talked about this earlier that Richard is, like, the reason that she becomes a good actress. Yeah, you know, there was a part before, though, when he's, like, watching her act, when he says yeah. something along the lines of, like, she clearly had, like, the talent, like, yeah. and it would be not self-delusional, but to, like, think I caused it. But then there's this part that I just yeah. want to read right here where she says, it will be a different me on stage, a woman me. She sighed and pressed herself against me, clasping her arms around my neck. I've always felt so unbalanced before. There's always been this conflict going on inside me, mind versus emotion. The weight of your love has balanced the scale at last. So kind of mm. implying that like literally his dick like turned her into a better actress. <laughs> That's the power of an average white man. <laughs> so so I, I just don't like love that part. Like I kind of get what, he's trying to do like this experience was meaningful for her but i do feel like it's giving too much credit to this just rando well and also it's like a total mischaracterization of like what acting is about yeah and what acting is like i am not an actor and i really overall don't know that much about it and like yeah actors oftentimes pull from like real experiences they have when they yeah. need to for certain scenes like you, you know what I mean to deliver but like you don't need to like go through something like sad actually traumatic to like play someone who's sad or like well and then that's the idea too that like the only good artists are tortured artists yes yeah which I fundamentally fundamentally disagree with yeah and it's just like not true yeah. you know what I mean like I'm sure some actors are, like, tortured, but other actors are just, like, I don't know. It's just a job. Like, I show up on set, and I do some stuff, and they pay me, and then I go home. It's, yeah. It's, like, you don't have to, like, embody this kind of absurd existential experience or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do. God, they talk a lot in the book. Yeah. Like, they just kind of. And so much of it is just, like, I've never known love until I saw your face. Yeah. Like, just lines like that like just a lot of lines like that <laughs> i do like in the film though first of all the film is is way more pg than, than the book was. <laughs> um but we get a scene after of them like sitting on the floor yeah eating food and just kind of like talking mm -hmm. and i really liked this moment yeah like it's not the kind of like post-coital bliss of them sitting in bed together that, like, you usually get. Declarations of love. Yeah, it's them sitting on the floor eating. Yeah. And just kind of, like, being more jokey. Being comfortable together. Yeah, being comfortable and, like, talking about their future together. And it, like, I feel that's more 
intimate and real yeah. than like any of the crazy sex, post sex like kind of scenes that you usually get in films or like kind of get in this book even. I agree. In the book, Richard decides that it's time to burn his writing. Yeah. He's like, Elise can never know I'm from the future. If I burn my writing, then I'll stay here in the past forever. He goes outside to do that. And Robinson, Mr. Robinson is there with a gun, maybe. This scene scene was so disorienting because I was like, wait, is he really there? It didn't seem like he was because then he just goes back inside the room and shuts the door and nobody comes in. Yeah, uh, (laughs) because Richard tells him during their struggle, you're going to die in 20 years in the Atlantic Ocean. And that seems to like startle him <laughs> rightfully so yeah like if anyone said that to me yeah under any circumstances you're gonna die in 20 years in the atlantic ocean i would probably be like what okay and, and stop whatever it is i'm doing yeah um but yeah he says that to him and then runs back inside and that's like literally the end the last time we see robinson yeah this is when richard finds his downfall yes in the form of a single penny from the 1970s in in the book he is like elise is asleep in bed Mm -hmm. when he finds it and he specifically says like it fell through a hole in the pocket and was in the lining of his jacket yeah how he missed it Mm -hmm. but he sees it and he just feels this like sudden sensation and pull back towards the the present yeah unquote and like this like just total sensation and being like unable to stop it, like mm-hmm. kind of feeling himself unraveling. And he's basically gone before he can even say anything to Elise. Yeah. So she probably doesn't even see him. Which go. is so fucking sad. Yeah. Like no wonder in however many years later when she sees <laughs> Richard uh, as an old woman, she just dies that <laughs> night immediately. <laughs> She's like, oh, my God, that son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And in the movie, it's also sad, too, because she literally sees him disappear. Yeah. And she, like, screams for him. It's really, really sad in the film. Yeah. Like, just hearing her crying out for him. Yeah. As he's, like, taken away from her by the penny. This is, like... This is one of those, like, twists. It's very Twilight Zone. It is. I think it works. Yeah. I think I like it. But it's very on that edge of being, like, too kind of wacky and absurd. And dramatic. And dramatic. Um, When I watched this as a teenager, like, this stuck with me. This is why I remembered this movie. Because I was like, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) You know? It is really sad. It's so depressing. Yeah. You're like, oh, my God, how could this happen? It's awful. It is. It's it's really, <laughs> it's really devastating. And and once again, like so, the fact that Elise sees him, yeah, it makes more sense when she sees him later on. Mm-hmm. That it's like this more dramatic moment. Like maybe she always knew she'd find him again or something like that. Yeah. I also want to say I absolutely love the role of the pocket watch in this movie. Yeah. Because. She gives it to him when he's in college. Mm-hmm. He carries it with him until he goes back in time. Yeah. And then he gives it to her. Yeah. And then she holds on to it until she's an old woman. And gives it to him. And it's like this pocket watch <laughs> traveling. Where did it come this, from? Wh- where did it come from? Where did it go? Yeah. Where did it come from, Cotton Eye Joe? 
<laughs> Does this pocket watch traveling yeah. endlessly in this loop through time? It's like so cool and poetic and like really, really beautiful. Yeah. I really love this edition. Yeah, I do too. Did we mention Richard Matheson wrote the screenplay? No, we haven't mentioned. Yeah, it he wrote this, which is like, yeah, <laughs> I feel like we got so much more in the screenplay so much more expanded on this idea yeah so many improvements to the original story where i'm like oh that's that's better yeah i wish this was in the book (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't that be cool richard madison (laughs) and i don't know if it was like you know we talk about adaptations oftentimes being like a second draft of the story and in some cases when the the author actually does the screenplay, which we've talked about several. Yeah. Um, it literally is kind of a second draft of a book. And I'm curious, like Richard Matheson, if he thought that like. Are these overall improvements to the story or are these things to be changed for the format of film? Like, did he yeah. think like. Oh, as a film, I need more of a punchy beginning. So I'll do this like pocket watch and Mm -hmm. like more of an ominous tone. And like, yeah, uh, you know what I mean? Were these changes that he would have applied to the book had he thought of them at the time? Mm -hmm. Or is this just something that he thought fit more of that format? Or is it the director? Is it the producers? Sure. The actors like you just don't know. Yeah, we don't like the process of, I think, writing a screenplay is much more collaborative, even if he gets sole credit for it. Like, I'm sure a lot more people are weighing in. Mm -hmm. So I would really, really love to know his opinions on like the screenplay versus like the book and the changes. Yeah. Before we really get into like, which one is better. I just want to talk about the end of both versions. Yeah. Um, in the book, it's sort of like a postscript epilogue by, um, Richard's brother who wrote the introduction as well. Kind of being like, yeah, Richard came home after that and he refused to speak. And then he went into the hospital and died of his brain tumor. Like shortly after that. It's very sad. Very traumatic. And he, like, clearly the brother thinks this was all, like, a self-delusion. Yeah. Uh, The brain tumor he had, doctors told him, like, it could have caused, like... Hallucinations. Hallucinations. But he does also acknowledge a lot of the coincidences Mm -hmm. of, like, he looked into it. And, like, the fact that he looked into it tells you a lot, too, that he, like, he confirms that, like... Elise, as an old woman, was at this college play mm-hmm. at the time that Richard was in school. And a lot of, like, the facts about her life and, like, the hotel, like, yeah. he confirms and acknowledges as being weird. And he almost says, like, I kind of hope. I kind of don't want to know. Yeah. He's like, I kind of hope that he wasn't crazy. Yeah. And that he actually did go back in time and that maybe he still exists somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the movie is also devastating in a different way, where once Richard is back in his present time, he just stops eating and starves himself to death. (laughs) Yeah, and I was really curious. It's kind of really uncertain, like, when he comes back. Yeah. Because he wakes up in a different room, right? Yeah. Which implies that, like, his physical body was traveled, yeah, yeah, through time and came back. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would have thought, like, well, maybe he was laying in bed for three to four days. And didn't eat. And didn't eat, like, in the present. Yeah. Um, 
But I don't think that's necessarily true, which leads you to the question like, so when he came back, did he just like stop eating, men. stop eating and sit in his room for like a week straight? Probably. Yeah, that's what I'm going to assume. And we see like the doctors working on him. I thought he was dead, dead when they walked in the room. Yeah, I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then we see him actually dying and we have this, you know, sweet moment where he and Elise are reunited in the afterlife. Yeah, despite like this feeling like such a curveball in the story and being like, oh my God, did he just die of starvation? Like self-starvation? <laughs> yeah. I really like the way the death scene is filmed mm-hmm. with like the camera floating upwards and then looking down. And, and then, then the curtains the, and light. The bright light. And then him seeing Elise and kind of this white landscape. And mm-hmm. even when the credits roll, it's black text on a white background, which is really cool. Yeah. It actually sells it as being touching where Mm -hmm. you're kind of like back to being like this was sweet yeah and not like what the fuck just happened (laughs) (laughs) i know it's a fine line i mean you're still a little bit like that but it sells this ending more than i would have thought possible yeah i don't know how much we really need to say it but which one did we like better i definitely definitely preferred the film better i agree i think This book has a great concept, but the execution is not the best. I really didn't like the character of Richard. He was so whiny and he was so annoying and kind of creepy, honestly. Yeah. And I didn't love the narration either, like the cassette recording Mm. style and then him like always having to like stop and write down everything that happened to him. Yeah. Cause he always is like, Oh, and now I'm writing this all down and catching you up on everything that's happening. And I just felt like that didn't work very well. Yeah. We've read other books that are like that. And it takes like some of the tension out of the story. Cause you're you're like, like, well, I know you're not dead. Yeah. If he's reflecting (laughs) on these events and like, you know, it takes the tension out. Yeah, I think Christopher Reeve does so much to bring... He really does. ...a lot of empathy to that character in that role. I think there's a lot of plot points that are made better in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book is also just, like, it's really sappy and self-serious yeah. and kind of melodramatic, like, in terms of, like, their relationship, where... I don't like there are a few moments where I don't know. Richard just doesn't feel like a character at all in the book. Yeah. And we we, we had a discussion earlier about like I am legend Mm -hmm. and how we like the character in that story because he feels very defined by the circumstances he's in. Yeah. Like he's trying to discover a cure for this like vampire disease, but like also falling into alcoholism Mm -hmm. and like just trying to survive. And like he's very interesting, but like, I don't know. The character of Richard in this story is just purely defined by his obsession with With Elise. With Elise, for no reason. Yeah, and there's, like, nothing else besides that. Yeah. So I think it's a strong movie from both of us. Very strong. Now that we've uh, stated our opinions, I'll read our patron who requested this episode, Tony's thoughts on this Uh book and movie combo. (laughs) So Tony says... I saw the movie somewhere in time on home video in the early 80s. I would guess I was about 10. Christopher Reeve was in a movie and he was Superman and I was going to see that. I think my parents thought I would fucking hate it, but they sat with me and away we went. I was not like Fred Savage in the movie version of The Princess Bride. Uh, I never thought girls were icky. When I first saw Donna Reed in the pool scene in It's a Wonderful Life when I was a kid, I knew I liked girls. That was that. I didn't mind a kissing book or movie. 
The movie is slow in plotting, but most movies from that time were. It was filmed on Mackinac Island. Is that Ma- you- yeah, Mackinac Island. Uh, Mackinac Island, and I was excited to see things I recognized. I'm from Michigan and had been to the island a few times before, oh, cool. which is awesome. I added that. Uh, (laughs) Those things mixed in with a bit of low-budget time travel, and I was hooked. I watched it a lot as I grew up and just loved it each time. It wasn't until later that I read the book and discovered that Richard in the book is so damn whiny and really pretty (laughs) annoying. There is no fucking way Elise would like that guy. I do love the deep dive Matheson does into this cool version of time travel. His attention to detail is unrivaled. He makes his science fiction seem like science fact. However, I did not love the final, oddly described, softcore sex scene at the end. It just did not work at all. I think for the most part with Matheson, I like the book better, but not this time. Reeves transcend, Reeve transcends the character. His charisma and good looks carried the movie. Wholeheartedly agree with you, Tony, on that. Wow, that's great. It's I'm so, so funny that we agree. Oh my god, I hadn't <laughs> read his thoughts at all until just now, so I'm like so glad <laughs> <laughs> we're like completely in alignment on this yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, thank you uh for suggesting this episode, Tony. Uh, it's been really great to do. But should we do a lightning round? Let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning. Okay, so first off for lightning round, I just want to mention in the movie, the little version of Arthur in the past is so cute. He's so cute. So he's like supposed to be, what, five? Because, you know, his dad works at the hotel and the joke is that he meets, you know, Richard's character in the past and then kind of recognizes him as an old man but doesn't quite remember. But like... He keeps wanting to play his ball in the lobby and his dad keeps yelling at him. And there's this part where his dad takes the ball away and Richard is so sweet. He gets the ball back for him. And when he brings it back, Arthur is just crying. He has like tears on his face because this ball got taken away. And he's like, here you go. And it's just so sweet. It's really, really cute. (laughs) I get why Arthur remembered him. Yeah. Like 70 years in the future. Mm -hmm. It's adorable. Yeah. Um, so when this movie first came out, it actually was kind of a, a bit of a flop. Really? Commercially. So a part of that was likely due to the fact that I guess there was a writer, or I'm sorry, an actor's strike going on at the time. Oh, okay. So none of the actors could go to promote the movie mm. on its release. So I'm guessing a lot of the movies at that time that came out were kind of like, because, you yeah. know, you don't have... Uh, Christopher Reeve out there and the press tours and everything going on. However, this movie was really, really popular in China. Really? Yeah. Huh. It was like one of their highest grossing films of like all time. Wow. And was in theaters for like 18 months. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, (laughs) the article did not like expand on why this was, but I thought that was like super interesting. Wow. That is. Oh my gosh. Next up for lightning round. I just want to say that in the book, Richard is just like not eating and apparently he doesn't like to eat. I know he has a brain tumor, but that doesn't mean that he can no longer eat food. And in fact, he doesn't just stop at like not eating food himself. He criticizes everyone else in the past that eats yep. food and kind of implies that people in the past were like gluttons. Yeah. He keeps talking about like how every man in the past is like 
short and stocky slash fat. Yeah, and he keeps commenting on how people are eating all this rich food. And he's like, oh, no, nothing for me. I'll just have some clear broth and um, some some plain plain chicken and maybe like some wine. And I'm just like, stop being a snob and eat some real food. No wonder you're dying. He's like always... (laughs) Always like fainting and feeling like he's going to pass out. And I'm like, maybe if you ate a real meal instead of just broth for dinner. Instead of consomme. Yeah. Whatever that is. I I know. I don't. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Blast for lightning. There's this part in the book that's like really ridiculous, but kind of funny where Elise convinces Rob because Robinson just hates Richard like right off the bat. But Richard doesn't have a room to stay in at the hotel that night. And Elise manages to convince her uh, manager to let Richard sleep in his room that night. Yeah. And the ba- Robinson is like, oh, Jesus, fine, okay. <laughs> and he's like, let me show you to the room, Richard. And then, like, perceives <laughs> to, like, to try to, like, outrun Richard to the room <laughs> to, like, escape him so that, like, he can just ditch him and not have to, like, deal with him. Yeah, and of course, Richard is so weak because he didn't have anything for dinner <laughs> that he's, like, panting, trying to go up the steps. Richard's like, uh, time travel really takes it out of me. I'm like, does it, Richard, or do you just not eat like enough actual food. And yet he was able to have sex with Elise three times and apparently totally blow her mind. <laughs> Whereas I, you cannot do that on an empty stomach. I'm just saying. Uh, no, I think like <laughs> not like a big meal, but like you got to have some. You got to have some carbs. You got to have some in. gas in the tank. Yeah, you got to have some healthy fats. <laughs> you know, you, you have to have the sustaining energy. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to marathon sex all night. Exactly. Uh, That's it for lightning round. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you again for Tony for suggesting this episode. If you have an episode that you just really would love us to talk about a book and movie combo, uh, consider becoming a patron because all our patrons get priority episode requests. So you can check us out on Patreon. Um, patrons also get our bonus episodes that we put out monthly. Um, they get access to our Discord, um, our Instagram, Instagram close friends, stories, lots of really cool stuff. Yeah, uh, please, please consider becoming a patron at any tier for access to all of that, as well as... Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a positive review because it really helps us uh, appearing on the... I don't know how the algorithm works, I don't okay? either. Uh, I, I don't understand. But a, a five-star <laughs> review isn't going to hurt us, so please consider giving <laughs> us a five-star rating uh, and and emailing us, following us on Twitter, Facebook, do, all of our do social all media. Of it. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.